and welcome to this special edition of The Bill Podcast. I have the absolute pleasure of talking to the wonderful actor Lawrence Lambert, who played multiple guest parts in The Bill over a 16-year period. He first appeared in the show in Death of a Cracksman in the first series, and I've been able to capture Lawrence's memories from witness statements. There's some fantastic stories about the making of that episode, which are exclusively featured in the book. This is an expanded chat with Lawrence, celebrating his life and career as a whole, including some fantastic memories of his first television role on Minder. So sit back, relax and enjoy. Take it away, Lawrence. It was a seminal moment in terms of affecting certainly my career, that particular episode, and perhaps all those immediately around me somehow, you know. I came on a, on the back of a tide of a lot of very famous young actors who all graduated in the early 80s from drama schools around London. And strangely, you know, a lot of them were still in touch with each other because it's a small fraternity. But the bottom line is uh, all of us have more or less shared part of the legacy. So in some ways, you know, it's a, it's a complete honour to have been attached. There's a certain respect amongst your fellow peers. But more importantly, the fact that you've kind of tabled that history, it's just brought it all back. I've had an afternoon of just reminiscing on exactly how it all fell into place, because it's quite an extraordinary story, to be honest. Oh, fantastic. (laughs) I must say first that when, you know, when I first watched this episode, which must have been about three or four years ago, and I'm, I'm sat watching it and I'm thinking, where do I know this actor from? And about midway through, it dawned on me, it was your, your countdown gotcha. It is. I recognised you from that, and that, that also must have played a big part in you getting work. I mean, you're fantastic in that. How on earth you <laughs> held it together? I mean, I, I have such respect for you, because that must be yeah. such a hard thing to do when you're playing a prank on someone. Not, not. I mean, I know that's your job, but you were bloody brilliant in that. I mean, it really... <laughs> Pleasure. You're touching on really good subjects. I've had a friend who I've known for over 30 years who called me only yesterday, can you believe this, to say, although we've been in touch over the last God knows how many years, he said, you'll never guess. I just watched you on the countdown gotcha. <laughs> I've never seen it before, but it was absolutely amazing. It's generally regarded as the greatest one they ever did and quite right too, because it, oh, it, thanks, was, just, it was just perfect. Well, I met Richard Whiteley maybe about two or three years later at the London Motor Show, and I went, Richard, he went, you bastard. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, unfortunately, when he passed away, uh, I think Yorkshire TV asked me as a guest to go to York Minster to uh, uh, be a guest at the uh, memorial service, which I went up from London to visit, you know. Oh, wow. I mean, he was a lovely man. When did you first get the acting bug? How did it start for you? My mum was dead keen for me to be a child actor. And I I went to a local school in London where Barbara Windsor was teaching, of all people. Yeah, she was uh, an alumni student of a very elderly lady who ran a local school. And I think Barbara was my very first acting tutor when I was 9, 10, 11, maybe even a bit younger. And I was in uh, good company with, I don't know if you've ever heard of Bernard Breslau. Would you know that oh, yeah. British comedian? Yeah, yeah. wonderful. Uh, as well as his carry on where he's, he's got a distinction in my geek brain because he was the first ever ice warrior in Doctor Who. Which, <laughs> he uh, was. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, listen, we, I, you know, let's table Doctor Who because that's part of the story. I'll get onto that in a oh, minute. Because lovely. His daughters, the Breslau daughters, were in the same group as me when I was with Barbara. So I had a really sort of spoiled childhood of, of appearing in like the odd movie, like Goodbye Mr. Chips with Peter O'Toole. I may have been, I only would have been an extra at that point, you know, but uh, I was in a couple of ads. And when, when I was about 13, Oliver, I suddenly realized that uh, yeah, I wanted to be, uh, I wanted to play football for Queen's Park Rangers. <laughs> you, know? you know, when you just think, I, I, I don't want to do this thing. I want to be a footballer. I want to be a Formula One race driver, you know. <laughs> so to my mum's chagrin, she, she kind of, not threw the towel in. She said, well, fine, you know, maybe you'll go back to it at some point. And I remember being 19 or 20, around about there. I was working in Italy, of all places. A friend of mine ran a hotel. And I remember calling my mum from uh, an Italian call box to say, look, I've decided I want to be an actor. I want to come back to London and do some formal training. And the bottom line is I went to a very revered school called East 15. You're teaching there now, am I right? So Well, is... I have had moments there. Yeah, unfortunately, yeah. what with COVID, uh, oh, that's, yeah. at the moment, we're on like an abrupt hold. And it's been great for me to go back and teach. Uh, and uh, they've really warmed to me, the students. I think I've always been a very good communicator of the craft. A bit like Jose Mourinho. I might have been... a probably a better coach than I was a player. Oh. You know? <laughs> uh, but the thing is, I went to East 15, and I think, I don't know if you know, um, you know, they've, they've had some great alumni over the years. Alison Stedman would have been one of those. And, and there's, there's a whole plethora of, uh, even Oliver Tobias, there's been a whole gamut of names over the years that have come out of East 15. So I went to East 15 in the early 80s, and I graduated in 83. And Lo and behold, within my first year of being a professional actor, and now I must have been about 24, I think, I joined Minder. I did an episode of Minder. That's a great uh, British icon of a, of a TV series. That's where I worked with George Cole, of course, who was Arthur Daly, and Dennis Waterman was uh, Terry, of course. But strangely, Oliver, in that cast were some really great actors. There was um, Stephen Ray, Patrick Troughton, who was oh. Doctor Who. Oh, <laughs> wow. You got that. Yeah. And, and Tony Anholt, who was in Howard's Way, I think, eventually. Oh, yeah. Billy Hartman, who went on to be in Emmerdale, and Alex Morton, who went on to do Monarch of the Glen. So I was surrounded with really fantastic actors. And all I wanted to talk to Patrick Troughton about in the breaks was Doctor Who, of course, oh, you know. quite right, too. <laughs> <laughs> well, you'd like that. But here's the deal. The director of that episode was a, a really renowned film director called Robert Young. And Robert allowed me to spend a lot of time with him, more or less, on set, looking at how the camera angles worked and, and how I would set up or even call action or cut. In terms of he, he understood I had a real passion for filmmaking or directing. And the thing about Minder was it was an old-style Houston Films unit so it was like shooting a movie. It wasn't like television back then in, or today. It was actually uh, using a, a film camera. So having the benefit of working with Robert for that episode over a number of weeks, I mean, I was with the unit for a good month, maybe three or four weeks. I had a nice part and I was well cast. And I think Pat O'Connell, who was the casting director at The Bill, had hopefully seen something in my cheeky chappy rendition of the character I played uh, uh, with Dennis Waterman. 
And of course, by the by, the following year, I was asked to meet her and the and the production company in uh, of the bill. And I met Chris Hodson, who was the director. But Chris was really adept at video camera and uh, steady cam kind of procedures, where it was more or less a handheld, and it was able to move around the set, which meant that the action was really continuous in terms of how you acted. So I'd explained everything to Chris about my passion for filmmaking. And he said, well, I'm going to give you the second part of the jigsaw. You can spend as much time with me on set. I mean, I had, a, as you know, a substantial part in the bill. I mean, they yeah. made a big cost of me. But of course, Christopher gave me a great chance to understand the mechanics of how to use a steady cam or, or when you're videotaping something, how, how you would use that in a modern television format. There you go. That's that's the whole. That's kind of the nuts and bolts of of how I got from a child actor to be uh, uh, an East Fifteen graduate to suddenly being with Robert on Minder and then suddenly being with Christopher on the Bill. And uh, the more more or less, the rest is kind of uh, p- plain sailing. Because uh, if I may, uh, I don't know how long we've got. How long? How long? Oh, I'm, got? I'm all yours. This is fantastic. Gold dust. <laughs> it's brilliant. I can tell you now that the cast of the Bill at the time. I mean, again, I was spoilt for choice. I mean, Mark Winger uh, was one of the policemen who was chasing me every day in my character as Eddie in Death of a Cracksman. And, of course, Mark, I think, had formerly been in Quadrophenia. That's right, yeah. So my generation was just a bit post Phil Daniels. We were just just past Phil Daniels and Mick Ford for uh, Scum. You know, mm. we, I was just the next generation of that. I think my generation gave us people like Ian Bartholomew, or Dominic Letts, or even Bill McCabe, who was a great young actor, you know, even from the Bill. So I was spoilt on on the back of all my technical know-how now, and also I was riding on the wave of the sort of second stream of the younger actors that were coming through at the time. The fact that the old guard, like um, some of the Bill guys, like uh, Eric Richard, Sergeant Cryer, three years ago or four years ago, Oliver, um, I mean, I've been in touch with Eric quite a bit, but he allowed me to... Um, direct a stage play for a production company he, he, oh, that he's wow. part of. So our relationship was renewed then. It, it, it kind of keeps you in-house. And the fact that he recognized that I was directing, he said, look, Larry, I want you to uh, come and uh, uh, meet my um, uh, partner who in business, which was Ashley Gunstock. And oh. <laughs> Ashley's also part of the Bill setup. And so, of course, uh, they decided they'd like, like me to uh, direct a, a stage play they were producing. And then hopefully a short film to follow. So, Oliver, it was just a, lu- a luxuriant position to have been in such a wonderful time at, at, at the time that was all breaking. And like, were you aware? Because they changed the rule in the second year when a new producer came in that, that it would all be from a well, as you know from your later episode, it will be you know a policeman in every scene. And whereas you guys in this Death of a Cracksman have probably the longest amount of screen time of any villains ever in the show's history, where you've got the most because you've got all the killing Alfie Mullins and stuff. And so yeah, you've got quite sure. a unique place in the Bill history because you're the you're the top billed guest star as well in this episode. So it must have been. <laughs> A really exciting time in your life. Well, well, it was because uh, to have done Minder in the opening year, I'd only just left drama school, and um, uh, there was a very famous uh, uh, East 15 theatre director called Howard Lloyd Lewis. Again, I'm not sure you might recognise that name, but he had already said to me, Larry, when you leave East 15, I want you to come up to Manchester and join the company. Of course, I think Tony Scannell may well have been involved in the setup in Manchester, 
and uh, Seamus O'Neill, who I more or less was a couple of years ahead of me at East 15. So again, Dominic Letts, uh, I was surrounded by these really accomplished actors for my first real chance to play on stage. So that was also, that was just after Minder. So that was between Minder and the bill. So I would have done Minder, Manchester Library Theatre, a couple of seasons there, and then straight down back to London to do the bill, sort of 84, 85, 86. So, I mean, I was, I was really, I didn't realise at that time, as an actor, I more or less, well, was beginning to be at the height of my powers, which kind of launched me into doing other great 80s into 90s TV shows. Yeah. And in the end, of course, I met Julia Smith, who was the big supremo for EastEnders. And she said, look, I'm going to use you at some point. And she kept her word. I mean, many years later, I played Elliot Saunders, the Queen Vic's accountant in EastEnders. So, I mean, the run I had from, from the 80s to the 2000s was, was really all down to my, my connection and TV work, I think, at the beginning of my career. It really helped me as a platform. Mm. Uh, it's nice that they kept inviting you back to the bill like i think i must have appeared and i wrote it down actually i think my first appearance was um eddie in death of a cracksman that would have been what 1985 january 85 so i was filming that possibly oh no yeah yeah i may have filmed that actually in 84 the end of 84 uh again you know on and this is interesting it was at the very first bill's headquarters which was somewhere like Wapping. That's right, yeah. Arsichoke Hill was the... Bad shit. And that was the first time I'd ever met Eric Richard or Trudy Goodwin. A couple of things there that you said that were significant. One, of course, the storyline was much more kind of away from the police point of view. It was much more us as individuals or as a group of young boys or even Alfie Mullins' existence. So the, the story did lend itself to being a different point of view rather than a policeman being in every scene. And I think, you know, all in all, I think I've tabled, thir- listen to this, 13 separate characters I think I played in the bill <laughs> over the whole year. <laughs> so I was, all, I was always a baddie, I know that. I was yeah. always a baddie for some reason. Although I can tell you now, Oliver, I was always a baddie that didn't mean to be bad. That, yeah. that was always my trademark. They're rather lovable, aren't they, trying to blow open this safe? I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it's, I think it's, they're harmless, really, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, the best bit for me is when I said, um, well, you've got the torch. I, I won't ever forget that line because I think I fell over I fell over the shopping basket as Christopher asked me to climb through the toilet window in the dark. And I said, Chris, they've got the torch. And he said, well, you might as well say that in the street. You've got the torch. And I think the final denouement, this will make you laugh as well, when the police uh, raid the lockup, you know, like the garage. Yeah. I think, I think Mark Winger actually hit me on the head with a truncheon and I ended up with two, two stitches in hospital. Oh, <laughs> because, you know, him being so robustly method, and uh, I love him to bits. I mean, I've, I've seen him in a couple of things recently and he lives quite close to me. So we do giggle about these things every now and again. Do you remember the, the little explosion they did? Uh, John Salter was coming out covered in all the, uh, the debris. What was interesting about that is that... Um, yeah, again, sort of, even in the rehearsal, you couldn't really rehearse it. It was just kind of like, we're going to go for it on the day, you know. Mm. And uh, I think Chris had explained to me that whenever you do an explosion anyway, we're going to, it's all sort of like cardboard and polystyrene. and There's nothing in it. And for, some, for some reason, I was extremely terrified that, that something was going to go wrong, you know. And he was like, for God's sake. 
Larry, calm down, calm down. I said, but what happens if he said, don't worry about what happens if he's under control. Uh, and I think the most frightening bit for me was when John, I think it was John Isles and the rest of them, Sorthouse and Mark Wingle, when they stormed the garage at the end. I remember with being with Billy at some point saying, this is like being chased by the cops. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember the sound man saying, can you not run so fast? Because I think when they were chasing me at some point, our sound, sound man can't keep up with you. <laughs> You'll have to run slower. You'll have to run slower. But I tell you what, Oliver, I think my last appearance may have been in 2001. I actually was the forger. Jimmy Field was the character. Jimmy Field was a forger who helps Don Beach and Linda Lusardi's character to escape the police net after I think he murders somebody, you know. Yeah. To come back as Jimmy Field after starting as Eddie, all those, I mean, I think it was, the time frame was about 16 years, all in all, was immense. And I don't think at any point anyone ever said, I'm sure that guy was the guy, who, you know, there wasn't... <laughs> Uh, we'd always try to do something different. I mean, I remember being Stan the Video Man, who who was a bit of an informant. Uh, at one time, I played a, a respondent's barrister uh, in the courtroom, and I defended Lee McDonald. If if you remember oh, him, he was um, oh Zamo. <laughs> yeah, Zamo. I defended Zamo, and he was very very charmingly. But it, I went to George Carmen QC. I went to his chambers in order to have a little bit of a research for the role. And George, George had said to me, um, by all means, come and sit in the gallery. I want you to watch how I perform when I'm sort of at the lectern, you know, and you can p pontificate with your glasses and your wig and your, and your black cape. You know, I want you to do everything more or less I do. And strangely, Oliver, it was the Imran Khan versus Ian Botham case. Wow. So what a great treat to be front row, more or less, to watch George doing his stuff, you know. <laughs> so there you go, mate. When you're um, working with like, the East 15 students or, or any of the students, do you feel for them it must be so much harder for them now to break in, especially without a show like The Bill or, you know, up north they don't have their heartbeat or the, like, these staple shows are gradually disappearing, you know, family affairs and things like that. But do you think you were in, like, the sort of golden age of... Of British yeah, I, I think I think I'm trying to think of an argument against that, and I can't because I think yeah, you're right. I think sort of like the landscape of of how we got work was very different. I actually also teach now at Met Film School, ah. uh, and the, what's interesting about that uh, school, and I love I've been there since oh I don't know 2011. They're a very go ahead idealistic filmmaking school. They've got great connection, but what they have got is they've got two things that are really in their favour. One is it's the venue. It's more or less on the old Ealing studio site. And on day one, I say to the students, right, books down, pens down. We're going to go on a mini tour. We're going to look at some of the great sound stages where we're going to examine some of the great movies that were made on this very site, you know, like Whiskey Galore and Millions Like Us. And, you know, my mum acted a little when she was... Uh, a young woman just after the war, and she'd appeared in a couple of these black and white movies. Oh, wow. More or less unbilled. I mean, I always think more or less she was always dressed. <laughs> listen to this. She was always dressed as a waff, you know, <laughs> uh, and she was always serving the coffee when they were, no, no, the cocoa, when they were mulling over oh. the maps of Germany at 2 a.m. in the morning, you know, like <laughs> Kenneth Moore or someone. And they'd always say, not now, June, you know, just as she turned up with the cocoa. <laughs> 
yeah, I mean, she'd been in a couple of black and white films and, and suddenly, you know, to to know that I I know that she worked there and for me to take the students around and kind of impart the legacy, I think they really understand kind of, as you say, about golden periods. Uh, and I'm not too pessimistic. I do think there are definitely now golden periods ahead of them. I do think there will be. It might just not be as easily recognized as maybe as looking back on, on, on what you've alluded to so far, you know. Mm. Uh, and I've also noticed there's a lot of students, a majority now, all overseas students. So it's a very international kind of uh, uh, flavor. Right? Mm. Whereas we were, ve- we were always very sort of English or British, you know, in, in sort of post-Michael Caine, Terence Stamp guys. Yeah. Well, do you think, the bill could ever come back. Yeah, I think, I think so. Yeah, I think it could. I, I, you know, as I say, the, the geography of the program would have to be uh, reflect a modern stylized way of, of how it reflects on, on a daily basis today. Hmm. I mean, I was a little naive sometimes. I was never critical of it because I knew how popular it was and I knew how difficult it must have been to come up with good storylines and a whole plethora of actors which needed to to fuel the kind of appeal the show had. But I think, you know, looking back, they did a fantastic job. And I'm I'm really flattered to have been at the kind of vanguard of it at the very beginning of all of it, you know. Yeah. Does it please you that people are still enjoying, like, some of your earliest work, like, many years <laughs> old? I mean, could you, can you get yeah, your head around that, you know? <laughs> uh, of course. I mean, the fact that even Minder was on a couple of weeks ago and my... <laughs> My closing line, right, and this is probably the hardest line I ever say in any of the things I've ever done, was my closing line is to Billy Hartman and to uh, Alex Morton, who just knocked down this greenhouse with a bulldozer. I don't know if you remember that. I remember that. That's a fantastic episode. So Robert's idea in the very last part of uh, Jeff McQueen's script, he said, look, I want you to um, get into the middle of the debris and just kind of look, look as if it's, totally insurmountable there's no way you'll ever be able to tidy all of this up and then alex walks past with um billy hartman and of course they're, they're the culprits and they they said look we're looking we're looking for work um do you know anywhere where they're hiring and i'm like what and then he says well i'm a glazier and i'm and alex says i'm a carpenter right of course that's so ironic and then i have to respond with a glazier a carpenter. And it was it was sort of like a mini Michael Caine draw. And Robert said to me, I want you to, if you ever write a book about acting or film acting or filmmaking, can you call it A Glazier, A Carpenter? That's, that's going to be the, the title of your, your kind of uh, autobiography. So God bless Robert Young. I mean, he was just so talented as an old style director. You know, that, that that's why I was drawn to film directing and filmmaking, I think, so much. It had such a big influence on me. There were times when I look back and think it was a golden period and it shaped my entire outlook as a film director or even as a teacher of of acting, you know. Mm. And I have alluded back to it with my students and they've all understood the legacy. So I'm not going to overplay my hand with that, but I do think that, you know, I asked one guy about... uh, you know, so, some of his earlier references. And he was he was a youngish guy in his 20s, and he said, oh, I love Brando, I love Dean, uh, you know, I love Montgomery Clift. And I, I think there should be, there is, a, there is a thread in terms of how we've, we've shaped our, our actors on TV, especially. We do have a real rich legacy in that 
in that sort of 60s, 70s, 80s period, and where the 80s just embraced what had happened previously, you know, from from stuff we saw as I saw as a kid on telly, and suddenly it launched itself as a platform, 80s into 90s beyond, into the yeah. next century. So, as I say, whenever I see some of the old guard, uh, I can quite happily reminisce, but I can also impart to my students the value of 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 that platform that, that they created or we created. So, yeah, you're right, Oliver. It's definitely significant. There's no question in my mind. You know, I've been very fortunate with some of the uh, senior people that I've met along the way. In some ways, I've, I've been spoiled with this kind of wealth of experience and knowledge, which has kind of shaped the way I am now within the part of the industry which I do now, which I teach and direct now. I still act, but... I teach and direct, I teach film acting, acting for film. But without those kind of guys, the, the precursor of all of that when I was younger, I would never have had the benefit of these, these guys' wealth of experience. I'd now have to explain to my students, you can't just follow the text. You can't just follow the script. You have to be able to kind of uh, convey the thought process as well as. Robert Young had explained to me that when you put the phone down after you've spoken to Terry McCann on the phone, there's no dialogue there. So you now need to understand that you can have a thought moment as you put the phone down as to what the connotation is of what's happened or what's about to happen, if that makes sense. Yeah. yeah? Do you know what, Oliver, looking back, you, you, you've really, um, I don't know, you've delighted me today because of the fact that it's been so long since I've spoken about that episode, but it's been a joy to actually revisit it in my head, you know. Oh, I'm really chuffed. I'm, I'm, I'm so glad to have connected <laughs> with you. Absolutely fantastic. Let's, let's keep all channels open. But yeah. next week, I think the 5th of October, October the 5th, there you are, next week is the 40th anniversary of me walking through the gates at East 15. Wow. Uh, and they have an alumni site. And what I've managed to do is, I'm going to post that today is the uh, 40th anniversary, but I've posted all the names of the other 35 students that walked through the gate with me on that day. Now, there aren't, there can't be many of us. I know there's only two or three of us that are still working. I know that for a fact. Unfortunately, two or three are now no longer with us, which is another fact. But I can tell you now, there can't be many of us around who remember every name that went through those gates. And I have the list. Here in front of me of every student that was there. I love that. That's fantastic. <laughs> so I'm going to post that, yeah, on, on the website on Monday, uh, on the alumni page to say 40th anniversary, and there are 38 names to celebrate walking through those gates that day, you know. You're a kindred spirit, Lawrence. I love well, this. Well, I hope so, mate. I mean, you know, I, I think the one thing I've got uh, that kind of carried with me, which even the East 15 students now respond to is my passion and enthusiasm for it the energy mm. for it you know yeah I, I think that's what they don't see me as like some old geezer or they don't see me as uh, some old bloke trying to talk about when i was younger when i was your age we did this we did that it's just that it's just a legacy of enthusiasm and passion for film acting or screen acting or acting which permeates to to a, another young generation and I'm not as pessimistic as you might think, Oliver, about the shape of the industry, even though I know it's reasonably, well, it's certainly thinner in some ways. I still think there are platforms around or that will, that will develop in order for them to find their, their grail or their niche, you know. 
My huge thanks to Lawrence for sharing such wonderful memories of his time on the bill and his career as a whole and the work he's now doing with film students today. And my huge thanks as well to Gillian, Lawrence's agent from Row Associates, for setting up that interview. There's more gold dust from Lawrence about his time working on Death of a Cracksman featured in Witness Statements, a new book that looks at the first three series of the bill and the wooden top pilot. And there's uh, a couple of cracking anecdotes that Lawrence recalled that are, are exclusive to the book. Dive into witness statements and you can read more from Lawrence and many other contributors about the making of the early days of the bill. More gold dust to come on the Bill podcast. In the meantime, take care, stay safe and bye for now. Hello, this is Ben Payton and you have been listening to the Bill podcast. Produced and presented by Oliver Crocker. Co-produced by Dan Evans. Sarah Kuiper and Alex Mockler. Executive produced by Glenn Allen, Ben Ashmore, Daniel Christopher, Alana Dewar, Andrew Dyack, Paul Dunn, George Fairbrother, Stuart Gibbon, Erin Gordon, Luke Hegarty, Edward Kellett, James Ladane, Stuart and Jen Morris, Claire Norbury, Justin Pitt, Tom Sherrington, Patrick Stratford, Sarah Went and Michael Weil. Brought to you in association with georgefairbrother.com and Misty Moon Events. If you're interested in reading about the making of the first three series of The Bill, signed copies of Oliver Crocker's book, Witness Statements, are available from devonfirebooks.com.